Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Generation BSC, as you may know, is a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about each book in the Babysitter's Club series, book by book, episode by episode, talking about what we thought about it as kids, what we were thinking about it now, whether what we remember, what we maybe don't remember, <laughs> looking at it through the lens of today. Um, and this week, we're up to super special number two, which is Babysitter Summer Vacation. And as you may recall, for super specials, we like to bring in a very special guest to talk to them about their relationship with the Babysitter's Club and then their thoughts about this book specifically, along with our thoughts, obviously. So this week, I'm very excited to introduce Alexandra Someyan, who who is joining us for this conversation. Alexandra, why don't you go ahead and say hi and maybe tell a little bit about yourself to the people that are listening. Hey, everyone. So, yes, my name is Alexandra. I've always um, been a huge fan of the Babysitter's Club as a kid. Um, Yeah, I'm a teacher, so um, I also love to introduce it to my kids as well. I mean, I usually teach kindergarten, but when I've had taught the older ones um I've definitely you know introduced them to all those books I actually have like a huge basket of like the old school ones and I actually found the super special so I know you're asking me do you have it I was like no and I was like oh never mind I have it <laughs> so I'm so happy to you know have it and be able to you know take my notes like the traditional way but yeah I mm-hmm. mean um, my history with it, I mean, I would definitely say um, it's due to my mom. I mean, she really always instilled a love of reading um, to me. Like, I was always in the library all the time with my brother. And then, yeah, I picked up Christie's Great Idea. I remember it was like a hardcover, like those old school, like, library bindings. And, yeah, yeah. The, the rest, oh I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. I'd forgotten about those like hardback special versions that you would get from the library. That's so cool. I had totally as well. I was going to say I'm looking at my bookshelves and obviously most of these are not my from my original collection, but only one of them. So book 115, Jesse's Big Break is actually a library book. So it is that like old school and I had totally forgotten too until I like got that, you know, through eBay or whatever and I was like, "Oh, oh <laughs> I God. forgot these were how they had them at the library." <laughs> That's really funny. Which makes sense. You know, it makes sense for kids' books that, like, you would want to make sure it's a little bit harder, but, like, right. <laughs> less chance of it getting destroyed. For sure, for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, that. I just, I really want to look for that hardcover. I would love to get that on eBay somewhere. But, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I became completely hooked with the series, of course. I even, I remember, like, getting into a huge argument with my parents. Like, my friends and I, we wanted to start a babysitter's club, and they're like, <laughs> you're only in fourth grade. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah, I just really saw myself in all the members, especially I would say Don and Mary Ann and a little bit Claudia sometimes. I mean, I more wanted to be Don and Claudia, but really I've always been a Mary Ann. Um, So, yeah, I mean, these books were just like a huge escape for me. And, you know, it made growing up a lot easier, I would say. Definitely. How long did you, do you remember how long you actually like read the books? Like, because I know I, Lauren and I talked about how it's been, it was like a long time. But yes. I don't know. If you and, and like, I forgot so much, like going back to it and, you know, revisiting them again, especially, I mean, of course, your podcast definitely influenced me. There was another podcast before that, that I listened to. It was like with two guys. I'm not remembering the name. Oh, um, the Babysitter's Club Club. Yes. They're very funny. Yes. The, yeah. 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 I love them. And then I got into yours because I really wanted like 
just the female perspective, you know, because they had like for me, like you know, the perspective was a little bit different when on their end. Mm-hmm. I would say it was just more joking, like oh, let's. Well, they they had some history with it, but I just wanted like a different perspective. I would say, um, but I would say like in sixth grade, I think it was sixth grade was when I kind of stopped reading babysitters club and i really got into sweet valley high and that was like a big Mm -hmm. thing for me and that was like the more (laughs) mature series to read um so oh yeah i feel guilty about that though like i wish that i continued with it but yeah sweet valley high and i had like you know i've always been a book nerd so like i had like the membership club and i would get them i would get babysitters club and sweet valley high in the mail it was like i think it's part of scholastic (gasps) oh my Mm -hmm. god it was like christmas every time jealous yes it was awesome. But yeah, like I would say that was when I was like, oh, I'm too cool for the babysitter's club and all that nonsense. <laughs> You're never too cool for the BSC. I know. But no. I know. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. what I, you but know. definitely when you're a kid. I remember that was about the same time I got really eager to get into the Sweet Valley High as well, too. That made me feel really cool. Older. Go figure. One of the main themes of Babysitter's Club, doing, you know, <laughs> not wanting to feel babyish, wanting to feel older than you are. And that's how we aged out of the books. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But, I mean, revisiting them has been everything. And the show, that's like another level. We'll get into oh. that later. I'm like, I love the show so much. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that's a, that's a great next question. I, I wanted to hear, especially since you said that um, you really liked Dawn. She was somebody that was important to you growing up. Um, how How has that been... Um, the changes in Dawn, especially for you as a Latina woman, has that been exciting or is it pandering? What, what's your what's your take on it? Um, I feel like it was exciting. Um, I really like, um, of course, I mean, growing up, I was always obsessed with Dawn. It was mostly when I look back on it, it was mostly because of her being from California. And that was a big thing uh-huh. for me. I always wanted to go to California growing up. I had like, I was a teeny bopper. I had like all the magazines and everything. And um, it was just a big thing for me. But I remember not really as like a Latina. I've never felt fully seen because I'm like, you know, I love Dawn. I wish I could be Dawn. But, you know, I can't really fully relate to her. She's all American you know, sunny California kind of vibe. And like, I wanted that so bad, but that's not something I could actually see myself in. So having the show, um, you know, it really feels validating. Um, it feels it feels good to, to be able to have that kind of representation. I remember, for example, I remember how you were last saying in your last podcast with Dawn on the Coast, how the depiction of California was very unrealistic I guess you could say Mm because they mostly Mm -hmm. talked about beaches and Disneyland and really that's not (laughs) all California Um, and how they mentioned how they went to a Mexican restaurant and all of that and obviously there's like a huge Latinx population in California so I love how they decided to bring in a Latina in the babysitters club but I do definitely feel like I do want to see more of her her heritage I want to see more of her Mexican heritage in the show I would like to see that better represented I feel like it wasn't really completely delved on but um I would like Mm -hmm. to see that in the future seasons but again this is just like an introduction so I'm assuming they're going to get more into her life 
and her I know it's not all that she is being Latina is not everything you are um, but I, I do like the representation and I like how you know um, they really explored her but I want to see more about her family I would like to see more of those dynamics for the at least for the second season I'm hoping yeah that's a really good point I would love 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 to see like Dawn on the coast in this next season or a future season mm-hmm. to see her you know go back to California and see what the California of this Dawn actually looks like and what her dad is like and what their family life there and if I mean they never mentioned Jeff so I assume that Jeff is not a character in the show even you know like having stayed in California but whatever that family dynamic might be in California I would love to see that for sure get a lot more of that backstory on Dawn's family and where she came from and her culture would be really really great yeah yeah I think that brings up a really great point that I I think sometimes gets lost when we talk about representation. Like, it's not enough to just have someone different be there. Like, you need to explore that difference. And I think that one of the things that's sort of been a hot topic of conversation this year that's opened my eyes to things a little bit is that the representation in that way is almost more important behind the scenes than it is on the screen. Mm Because the people who are in the writer's room are the ones really driving, you know, like, if we if and when we do get to see Dawn's family and like, really explore her heritage and culture. And if they don't have someone with a Latinx background in the room, then that becomes a lot more difficult and a lot harder. And maybe even it doesn't happen at all just because nobody thought to do it. So I think that's a really, a really great point that, you know, representation is not just having someone that, that looks like you on screen. It's about sharing that experience as well. Yeah, I, w- I would like to get like more of like the holistic experience. But I do like because it's like you also you don't want a caricature, of course. Like I like how Don mm-hmm. was in a caricature Latina, like what you see on TV, you know, kind of, you know, many times, unfortunately, in the past, like, you know, with with Latinos on TV, some men, not all the time, but most times in the past, they've been depicted as kind of cartoon. And I do like Mm -hmm. that, you know, we live in a diverse community and just because you're Latina doesn't mean you have to be like full blown Latina. But um, I do want to see just like that aspect of her family and, you know, where she's from. And of course, I would love to see how it would be like when she goes to California, what her California is like and how her experiences are. Mm-hmm. That's I love that. Do you have any particular representations of Latina um, or, or any Latinx people on television that like are really powerful that you really like? Are there shows that get it right? Oh, this is hard for me to answer. Let me think. <laughs> I have to, I'm going to maybe have to pause on this one. <laughs> Yeah, totally. We that was 100%. I put you on the spot. But you mentioned because you're right. I, I never really thought about it that way. But you're right. A lot of the especially Latina um, women representation um, in, in media is often very one note sort of that like sassy best friend type of thing. Mm-hmm. I would have to think about that more. Maybe I'll get back to that. Oh, great. Yeah, I don't know. So we, we talked a little bit about how that change in Dawn. Um, made her even more accessible to you. But you mentioned that you saw yourself, a lot of yourself in the Babysitter's Club uh, books as a kid. What were some of the things that really you identified with most strongly? I would say I definitely identified with Mary Ann, even though like I really wanted to be Dawn, I really wanted to be Claudia. Um, I would say like with with 
the aspects of Marianne's, I would say, personality as far as her shyness and not being able to stand up for herself. And it was very inspiring to see, especially in, in the books. You see it a little bit, but in the show especially, how you can see how she really starts to find her voice. And I, I really identified with the friendships and, you know, how, how they grew together and how they worked with one another. But I would say definitely, like, Marianne was, like, huge... Um, someone that I really related to growing up and you know it was it was nice to have a character character like her because I felt like her growing up for sure definitely I <laughs> I can completely relate to that because I am definitely a Marianne at heart and still a Marianne um, I, I mean I guess do you think and obviously there was like you said there was a lot more in this show of like Marianne finding your voice but like do you think there was anything in the book series that like helped make you the woman that you are today by reading them? Like, did you take anything away that you think, like, thinking back? Because I know Lauren and I have both had some sort of realizations like, oh, that's where I got that from. Like, do, do, does anything come to mind for you like that? I, I would say, like, um, since, you know, I'm, I'm a writer, I also, you know, I'm a, I write book reviews. I mean, I became, I feel like, because Marianne, because she's, like, very bookish, and, you know, she's barely into, like, pop culture and all those things. I really feel like that's, that's something that that I kind of took away with me, and that's something that I ended up writing about myself. And um, I would say I definitely got influenced by all of that um, when it comes to the writing and when it comes to the reading. Um, that was that was a character that, you know, I was like, okay, that's where I got all the obsessions with the movie actors, like all the all the <laughs> actors and actresses in Hollywood and that whole story. I think that's where I got that from. Mm-hmm. Like, where do I get all this stuff from? Like, okay, reading reading about this character, I'm like, yep, that was me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. I especially love because I never really think about um, Marianne as being uh, – a, a gateway to some of my pop culture obsessions, but she really was. You're right, like so into the movie stars, and like she was the one who always knew the trivia about something or and knew all of the references. That's really cool. Yeah, definitely, and it influenced me with my writing. I mean, that's what I write about a lot, um, and I always reference a lot of pop culture in that. Um, you know, I, I in my book reviews, like sometimes I what do you call it, like um, fan fan cast, I guess you could say. I would fan cast a lot of my characters and some many times I would use like 90s pop culture TV shows in them like Dawson's Creek and those were like my yes. big things back in the day Felicity mm-hmm. still still my thing but yeah <laughs> oh yeah and then I oh my god I can't believe I couldn't answer okay so I have the answer to your question about the Latina actress um, finally oh, I don't oh. I don't know why this blanked on me <laughs> um, so I've been completely obsessed with this show i've watched it several times already it's i don't know if you've heard of it. it's called vida uh vida yes i have heard of it actually mm-hmm. it's on showtime and unfortunately it only lasted like two seasons <laughs> um Aww. but it's a beautiful show one of my favorite new favorite shows melissa barrera and i would say i related to her character and identify with her character because she necess- she didn't necessarily feel you know like there's a whole the whole identity how I don't feel Mexican enough because I don't I don't speak Spanish like I don't feel like I'm connected to my heritage and um, I really identify with that character and her experience and I feel like I felt like that growing up because even though um, I grew up speaking Spanish I lost it growing up and 
you know, like as you go to school, you kind of start getting Americanized, especially in schools, mm-hmm. you know, they push you to speak English. And, um, you know, over time, you you feel like when I felt growing up, I didn't feel as connected. Um, and then I would feel like I would have to hide who I am, which is horrible. And that was something that I that I felt that's an experience that I had growing up Hispanic. And then eventually, I, you know, I, I made peace with my heritage and I love it. And um, it's something that I really struggled with growing up. So I really identified with that um, Latin experience, Latinx experience in the show. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else this actress does. I know she's gonna, she's doing a movie. I think she already wrapped it um, in the Heights is the musical. Oh, yeah. You had mentioned, we asked you a, a couple of questions ahead of time. And one of the things that you told us is you really liked the ghost stories that the BSE did. Um, are you a fan of like horror in general? Or was it just like their obsession with it? What was about the, what was it about the ghost ones that really spoke to you? Um, I've always, I'm, I'm not a horror fan at all. No, (laughs) but, um, I've always, I grew up reading Goosebumps and, um, Mm -hmm. what is it called? The Hardy Boys. I read some of that. Um, my mom tried to get me into Nancy Drew because that was like her more, her era of, you know, mysteries and all of that. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up kind of reading ghost stories with Goosebumps, Fear Street. You know, when you get older, you read the Fear Street books. (laughs) So I had that connection already. Um, And so when Babysitter's Club started to come out with the ghost stories, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm all about this. And so, yeah, I've I've always um, loved a good ghost story. Um, It's always kind of like I've always been fascinated when it comes to like ghosts and spirits. And I was kind of like um, the character, like the little girl, Karen, I was kind of like her growing up. I would, I I would make up stories. I actually made up a story um, as a little girl that my math, math teacher was a ghost. And I believed it in my head that my math teacher was a ghost. So I would invent things and actually wrote a whole like little mini book about, about it so that's what got me into writing too also (laughs) yeah so that's something that was always fascinated with I had a Ouija board and I would try to contact Elvis Presley it was horrible (laughs) 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 so I always had it oh my god they had to take away the Ouija board away from me and I'm like I was like a Karen I'm like it's gonna come back Yeah, I definitely had a Ouija board. Like, I I was not as much into, like, the Goosebumps and stuff. I did love all the Babysitter's Club mysteries, but I also had a Ouija board, and I freaked myself out. And I think I made my mom get rid of it because I for the same thing. I was like, I don't want this, like, I don't want any ghosts to come, like, talk to me. I'm too freaked out by this. I have to get this out of my house. I was all about it. I wanted to see a ghost so bad. (laughs) I was obsessed. Oh, my God. I was, like, somewhere in the middle. I, I like was fascinated by it and drawn to it, but I was also a little bit freaked out and I would use my, my brother was uh, always like really freaked out by it. So I would use his scaredness to be like, well, you know, I don't think Dustin really likes this very much. So <laughs> poor kid got like blamed for my, um, cause I definitely got rid of the Ouija board of my own volition as well. But that was after, um, I saw the exorcist and I, I was like, yeah, no, not, I don't really believe I'm talking to a ghost, but I'm not going to take any chances. Just, just seems prudent not to, not to mess with that, just in case. Exactly. Hard agree. 
I just wanted to ask one last question since we're going to be in quarantine or, you know, self-isolation for a while now that winter is here and things are, you know, back to not great in the world. But um, one of the things I think on our, our questionnaire was, you know, who would you want to quarantine with? So I, I guess answer that. And then what do you think you guys would be watching and doing if you were quarantining together? Um, for sure, I would want to quarantine with Marianne. I think we have like a lot of the same um, tastes as far as like, I don't know necessarily like because the thing is this is Marianne in the past versus Marianne now (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like we would watch the same things and I guess um I feel like I could get Marianne into hopefully like 90s teen shows I mean that's something that I quarantined with um and yeah and we will probably let me think about some books that we would read together um I would think, well, since Mary Ann in the TV show, um, in the TV show itself is Afro-Latinx, I'll probably get her into like Latinx, Afro-Latinx books. I don't know if anybody has ever heard of Elizabeth Acevedo. And Mm -hmm. we'll probably have like a book club together and talk about the books and it would be nice and cozy. I would love it. But yeah. For sure. I love that. That sounds like a great quarantine. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would love to have a little like book club, sit by the fire, have some hot cocoa and just discuss books. Yeah, I think you just described heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Throw in a hot tub and I would never leave. So we are discussing today uh, the second super special, which is Babysitter Summer Vacation. And I don't know, Lauren, do we want to just dive right into the back of the book description? I think so. As this is a super special, it's a pretty stuffed book. So let's get right into it. Um, So, as Kate mentioned, we're at our second super special. Um, This was released in July 1989 um, and was uh, written by Anne M. Martins. So let's check out what the back of the book tells us. This summer, the babysitters and a whole bunch of the kids they sit for are going to Camp Mohawk. With the girls as counselors and training and the kids as campers, it'll be just like babysitting in the woods. The babysitters soon discover that camp isn't just nature walks and making lanyards. Dawn gets lost in the wilderness overnight. Christy learns how to use mascara. And Marianne gets caught sneaking over to the boy's side of the camp. Stacy spends two weeks with poison ivy. And Claudia falls in love with a boy CIT. This is one summer vacation the babysitters will never forget. Pretty straightforward. (laughs) I tried to get it with the delivery, but just in case you couldn't hear it, love was indeed spelled in our very favorite (laughs) L-U-V manner. All caps L-U-V, not just (laughs) L-U-V. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's funny because there is so much going on and they like basically just outlined this is what happens to each kid. Like you kind of almost don't need to read the, the rest of the book. Because it got it, because there's so much going on, that one little summary kind of does it for you. Yeah. Right? It is what it is. (laughs) Here's like the highlight for each of the people. (laughs) So, Kate, why don't you give us a little bit more specific so we have the context before we dive into our big ideas? Okay. Well, it's going to be a little bit of a description because we have seven narrators as usual. (laughs) So, I'm. as we did with our first super special, I split them up into individual narrators because trying to do one big description was making my brain hurt. So here we go. (laughs) So the overarching plot. 
Babysitter's Club is inspired to go to summer camp after Dawn tapes The Parent Trap and Meatballs off TV. And she and the rest of the Babysitter's Club have watched The Parent Trap approximately 650 times, according to Christy. The girls all decide to go, which inspires the rest of Stony Brook to also want to go, and they convince Stacy to join them. So they, along with a number of their siblings and babysitting charges, 23 total, including the BSC, heads to Camp Mohawk for two weeks over the summer. Camp antics ensue, and they all end up having a great time. Okay, so now diving into all of our narrators. We'll start with Christy. Christy, unsurprisingly, loves camp and all the activities, except arts and crafts and the nature cabin, whatever that is, but feels a lot younger than the co-CITs with her and the two eight-year-old cabins. They all end up getting along, though, after the two co-CITs give Christy a makeover for the CIT dance during the end of their time at camp. She has a great time at the dance and sometimes wears mascara once they get home, but she's still the same Christy we know and love. Okay, Claudia. Claudia meets a boy CIT named Will and instantly falls in, capital L-U-V, love. Her campers do some sleuthing and find out more about him in advance of the big CIT dance, and it turns out he's Japanese-American and has a beloved grandmother who recently passed away. Claudia and Will really connect, but it's sad to think that this is just mere, more set up for to help Claudia deal with losing Mimi in the next book. Okay, so Stacy. It's a long process of convincing before Stacy finally agrees to go to camp with everyone. She spends the first night unknowingly sitting in a large patch of poison ivy and spends up some time in the infirmary with what she thought was Lyme disease after a warning speech about ticks from Old Meanie that is actually, quote, a big mosquito bite surrounded by poison ivy. My red eyes were pink eye. My sneezing and aches and tiredness were a cold. The disgusting thing by my mouth was impetigo. And all the itchiness was from more insect bites and, of course, the poison ivy. So she has a plethora of issues. Yikes is right. So Marianne. Marianne is obsessed with the cool girl CITs with her in the seven-year-old cabins and thinks they're so sophisticated. They don't believe someone like Marianne could have a boyfriend, so she goes out of her way to prove that Logan exists, including going so far as to sneak out at night to try to get to the boys' side of camp to deliver a ridiculously flowery love note. She gets caught but earns the respect of her co-CITs. They do still try to get her to let them pierce her ears, all of the parent trap, and she goes along with it, but they ultimately check it out and Marianne's ears remain unpierced. So Dawn. Dawn ends up in a cabin with 11-year-olds, but not the one with Jesse and Mallory. More on that later. That includes a girl named Heather, who is very not into camp at all, and spends her time reading and writing in the cabin rather than participating in activities. That being said, after a replacement counselor gets the cabin lost on an overnight camping trip, Heather steps up and leads them all back to camp thanks to a camping and survival guide she read the first week at camp. Dawn ends up appreciating Heather for who she is and deciding she might want to try Outward Bound after their camping adventure. Okay, so Jesse's next. Jesse and Mallory are in the same cabin and get to be junior CITs, which was a position invented just for them. There's major conflict with the other girls in their cabin, who are basically all pieces of shit at first, but who mostly come around and realize the error of their ways. But Jesse and Mallory rise above it and get to write a dance performance slash show for one of the eight-year-old cabins, the one that includes Becca and Charlotte, for Parents' Day. They have a ton of fun and use the show as a way to teach a lesson about friendship and inclusion, which is what makes all but one of the girls in their cabin apologize and be friendly. Yeah, and the one the girl that doesn't apologize is just a fucking racist. So she, she can, is a she can go screw. That's a big one for me. Yeah. I was really upset over that part. Me yes. too. There were a couple definitely. of like for a book I enjoyed overall. There were a couple of things that really kind of pissed me off, and that was definitely one of them. I have like a whole page written about that right now. <laughs> that whole that whole situation was just badly badly done. Definitely. Okay, well, I'll finish with Logan, and then I think that might be a good place to start on the Agreed. great ideas discussion. So, Logan, 
He's our final narrator. Logan is in a cabin with seven-year-olds, including Jackie, Buddy, and Matt. Jackie's a disaster at camp like he is at home, but everyone seems to be having fun until Logan gets Marianne's over-the-top love note. The other boys make fun of him, and he starts a food fight in retaliation for the mocking, but he ultimately does the quote-unquote romantic things in Marianne's note and is excited to see her at the dance. Yes, Logan is surprisingly not terrible in this Right? <laughs> also, Logan doesn't recognize Christy when he first sees her at the dance because she looks, quote, terrific, unquote. Oof. Woof, woof. That yeah, I know. I was I was shocked. I was like, wait, is this Logan? Because this right. is not how Logan has behaved consistently throughout the books. Well, especially after literally the last book. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he was terrible in that, and now suddenly he's like, Oh, I love you, Marianne. He's very snarky, I noticed in this book. I would say very sarcastic. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's let's dive into the um racism of it all because there's the the super overt stuff with with jesse and then and then there's the whole camp mohawk of it all that just seems to be getting worse and worse as the book goes on like at first i thought it was going to be just like okay the camp name's not great but they acknowledge that you know it came from the iroquois and then and then between the racist girl in Mallory and Jesse's cabin and the running quote-unquote gag of them mispronouncing the lake name over and over again, mm-hmm. it was a competition, it was a race to the bottom as to which could piss me off the most. Well, and then also the fact that all of the boy CITs use the word Phoebe as in yes. feeble-minded, as Logan explains, as an insult. Like, every single time we see those boys, they're saying it over and over. So that's just, like, another <laughs> sprinkle on top of that Sunday of terribleness. Yeah, that part oh, upset and, me. I, and we didn't even mention, because, I well, it's a, it was a different thing, but if we're just going to dump in all the awfulness together, you mentioned it in Logan's where he was, like, shocked to see that Christy looks good. Um, there's a huge emphasis on physical appearance in this one. Mm-hmm. And you know who's the worst offender is Dawn. Um, yeah, talking about Heather. Yes, and and like everybody in the cabin, like the whole emphasis is on whether or not they're pretty. The whole fat shaming aspect of Heather is just really ugly. There were a lot of weird veins of meanness, I guess, in mm-hmm. this book that seemed strange for what we know of of the series to to this point. Well, and the way that they've approached all this, because like, I mean, Maureen in Ma- Jesse and Mallory's cabin refers to them together, which they sort of explain as you're an idiot while you're trying to be racist. She calls them Oreos, which like that is looking at how they've discussed Jesse and her blackness up to now. Like this is completely different approach to it. And like, mm-hmm. I, it's just a little bit crazy the way that like they sort of dance around the fact that Jesse's black, but no one's really like overtly racist to her face. And then they get to camp and suddenly there's this like, flat out like I'm just gonna say it because I'm a terrible person like it's you know it's bad enough if people are racist and just have those racist beliefs and ideals but then to have this character go like out of her way to call them this derogatory term out of nowhere is like this is a complete shift and it was that I think that's what made it even more startling is that it is not in line with what we've seen of how they approach race in these books to date I feel like this character kind of like got away with it too which really upset me like Mm -hmm. I don't feel like it was properly addressed like even with them doing the play and everything and trying to address you know racism and how and try to you know bring people together I've I do feel like there should have been some kind of conversation that would have happened. I felt like they just kind of sweeped it under the rug 
ignored it and just just went on with their merry way to plan this play and like i wish that the girl got reprimanded or i mean i know mm-hmm. that the counselor said something to her but i feel like she just kept on being her racist shitty self basically at the end yeah. and not, nothing ever really she got no repercussions from it at least i mean have a talk with was it miss meanie or something but mm-hmm. um i just felt that was poorly done yeah i I agree completely. It was, um, and it's a complaint that we've had often with some of the bigger books, is it feels like they want to tackle some of these bigger issues, but they don't want to make it the whole point. So they add it in as like a side plot, but then it just doesn't get the level of attention and seriousness that it deserves. So it ends up feeling uncomfortable. Yeah, it's just not, Um, not enough. Uh, there was one other thing that uh, specifically about Jesse and, and being black that jumped out big time for me this time. Um, it's pretty early on in the book. I think it's her first, um, the first Jesse cha- chapter, and she's doing her introductions. And she says, I'm one of the few blacks in Stony Brook. And I, oof, I, like my whole body clenched. Black is an adjective, not a noun. <laughs> That is that. Yeah, that feels racist to me in a, in a really strong way. And I, I, I understand that, again, it was written at a different time. But intention versus impact, the impact of reading it that way was pretty intense. I mean, and that was before we'd even touched on the um, it, it even met the, the racist Maureen. So, it, yeah, mm-hmm. it was not good. Yeah, that that line definitely popped out to me, too. But yeah. Like with the relationship with Mallory, it was more, I mean, it was, she had, she had Mallory as more of like a protection for her, which was great. But I just, I really feel like there should have been at least a conversation with Mallory and Jesse about how, how, mm-hmm. how she felt, how they felt being called, you know, Oreo and that, you know, horrible offensive term, just some kind of dialogue between them. And there was none of that. Yeah. And I even, on that point, I again from that first Jesse chapter where she's talking about how she is one of the only black kids at camp or black people at camp, um, and she says, "Still, I feel uncomfortable. I always wonder if I'll fit in." Thank goodness for Mallory. Having my best friend here sure makes a difference. So it's like it's great that Mallory's there, but like Mallory could have you know she could be more supportive than just like I'm your best friend. You know, like I would have mm-hmm. loved to see that kind of conversation between them, sort of talking about you know, what, what, what it's like for Jesse and, you know, sort of, not that she, not that she needs to like teach Mallory, but like that she would give Mallory the opportunity to be there for her in the way that she needs. And I think, and Lauren, you and I have had conversations about this, about our own friendship. Like you need, you know, not you, you, but like for both of us, it's like, we need to have that conversation about what each each of us needs in our friendship, you know, at certain points, we each have certain different things going on. And it's like, we have both made it very clear to each other that like, I'm gonna if I need something else from you, or I need you to talk to me in a different way, or I need you to not talk to me about something at a particular time, like, I'm just gonna tell you that. And like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I would love to see that opportunity or, or love to see Jesse and Mallory have that opportunity to have a conversation like that, especially in books like this for kids, because I think that that is a really important lesson that 
obviously even adults can learn, but like, that would be great if I had learned that as a kid, like you can tell people that you don't have the emotional bandwidth for something or that you do have the emotional bandwidth Mm -hmm. to support their issues that they might not feel like they want to put on someone else. You know, like if Jesse feels uncomfortable being at a camp like this, it's great that she feels like she has Mallory for support, but like, I'm sure that Mallory, you know, knowing Mallory as a character, as we have come to know her, I'm sure that Mallory would be all about supporting her in whatever way Jesse feels she needs. And like, I would love to have seen that conversation between them for sure. Absolutely. And I think there's sort of a missed opportunity in there as well, because Alexandra, you'd mentioned when we were talking to you about your history with the books, you you had talked about, would sometimes struggle with your idea of identity. And I think that that's what's happening here too, that there's clearly some like, if, if we had framed it in that way of like, what does it mean to be interact with a racist person like that? How does that change how I feel about myself? And that ties in really nicely with the themes of the other girls. Like Christy's whole plot in this book is about that same struggle, not racially, but like feeling like who is she supposed to be, not feeling like herself because she gets dressed up in certain ways. Like that whole, I feel like that struggle for identity is pretty universal. And I think it would have been powerful for young readers to to see those things tied together in the same way that yeah, you may not know how it feels to be discriminated against because of your race or your gender or your sexual orientation or, or whatever, but you know how it feels to struggle with not feeling seen, not feeling known, and if it helps make that feel more universal, I think that could be really, really powerful. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I, I really feel like, I mean, I'm not exactly sure if there's ever been a 400-page Babysitter's Club book, but <laughs> I feel like this should have been a little bit longer to kind of delve into the perspective of Jessie and maybe how she feels, um, how she feels being Black and what, what is her experience with that and what is her, what is, um, have those conversations more like we were stating before. I think it should have been longer, because unfortunately with the Jessie chapters, there were only like maybe what two or three chapters Mm -hmm. and it was just very you know thinly Mm -hmm. veiled like there was not much going on with her besides I mean that whole experience that she had being the only black person in the camp and feeling uncomfortable and then having you know that really um, hurtful interaction with the other campers there should have just been more delved into that I believe and it would have been a really powerful um, book, or maybe it could have been a completely different book. Maybe, maybe we could have, mm-hmm. you know, took mm-hmm. that out and put it into a separate book. Yeah, have it be yeah. its own plot. I agree completely. Right, or have it be. I, I think that's one way that the super specials, and I'm sure we'll come to like see this more as we get into more of those but I feel like sometimes the super specials end up doing a disservice to all the characters mm-hmm. in that you know they try to have you know six or seven different narrators and maybe it would be better if there were only three and so we would get five or six Jesse chapters instead of two or three and we could really get more of her perspective but instead it's we only have a couple chapters with her so they're sort of like oh, right, we want to have this plot line, so we're going to throw it in. But, like, we don't really have time for Jesse to really examine how that makes her feel or talk to Mallory about how it makes her feel or how it makes Mallory feel and how she can support her and all of that. Like, I think it it definitely would be nice to either get a longer book or a more pared-down focus of this mm-hmm. book, for sure. Because I think that, that story in particular would have really... They had. I think we've talked about this on other books too. Like they sort of missed an opportunity, and I think this was definitely a missed opportunity 
for this book that they sort of glossed over this and and didn't approach it in ways that I think could have been really, really thoughtful and a good teaching moment for kids that are reading. And I think it gets even more disappointing overall when it's compounded with the incredibly dubious treatment of um, indigenous people and indigenous culture throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the thing, it really, I was already, you know, we knew going in and we we had talked about it when we talked about the Netflix episode, like we were very aware that this was the Camp Mohawk book and we knew that we were going to have that conversation. So I was, I was like prepared for that. And it still was somehow a lot worse than I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, the very first time it comes up, it's Stacy. And in the, it's the very introduction chapter, and she says, a teepee. Now, I don't know a lot about Native American culture, but I do know this much. The Mohawk Indians are a part of the large Iroquois nation, and the Iroquois Indians lived in longhouses, not teepees. Which, I'm like, okay, great. Maybe we're actually going to engage with this a little bit. But the next line is, but what can you do? This is camp, not school. So... Basically, the book said, yeah, we know this is all wrong. We know this sucks, but eh, who cares? That's not. And and I think that that was the thing that so infuriated me is that there is just this sense of like, clearly they know that that is not cool to even like approach it. Yeah, complacency. And not Exactly. Mm-hmm. Not take that extra step and say, oh, this is not only wrong, it's offensive. Um, and and to not understand that that is uh, there's a very attitude of like what's the big deal throughout the whole thing right. about the way that they engage with that and and that is ugh, just was like well nails and on it a also chalkboard. feels like it feels like they're basically by having Stacy say that is sort of being like okay you can let us off the hook we've acknowledged mm-hmm. that it's not right so don't focus on that and it's just like you said you don't ha- like there's no reason that this camp has to be called Camp Mohawk like Camp Moosehead is just as generic a camp name. And obviously they made the smart choice to update that, but it's like, just because a lot of camps in the 80s did take their names and imagery from Native American tribes, doesn't mean that you had to do it to Babysitter's Club. I mean, the, the camp I went to as a kid, it was a Girl Scout camp, but it was called Camp Ledgewood. And all of the cabins and tents were tree names. So there was like Burr Oak and Chestnut and Maple and exactly. Buckeye. And so it's like, you you don't have to do this. <laughs> like, it's not a thing that exists universally. And so it was like, oh, it's just a sign of the times. Like, everybody was doing it. Like, yeah, a lot of people were, but like, you didn't have to do this. It's not like it's based on a true story or something. Exactly. It just, it was such a, um, and I think that that's one of the benefits of like having representation um, on, behind the scenes, because it feels like anybody who had any sort of native background would, or indigenous background would say, hey, maybe let's just not go there. Like, d- we can name it whatever. Like you said, it's fictional. We can name this whatever we right. want. <laughs> exactly. Um but to not only then say, you know what, well, and, and I do, like you said, it was a very cultural thing. And I mean, that has, honestly, there are still a lot of camps that are named um, for for tri- Native American tribes. Um, I grew up in um, Southern Ohio, and a lot of our school districts were named after the indigenous tribes that had came, come before. And, and I remember that there was just zero interrogation of that at all. Um, so that was, it's not, you know... It's not like they were so much worse than anybody else, but we do just expect better. And what made it, what did make it worse than everybody else is the running mispronounced the lake gag. So mm-hmm. the lake, um, hang on, I actually, because I, I looked it up because it was pissing me off. So 
it's pronounced Dakondawita, and um, Dakondawita was known as the Great Peacekeeper. He and Hiawatha were um, responsible for bringing peace to the conflict between the Iroquois nations. So, I mean, this was like a big deal, very important person, and I that was that took me all of thirty seconds of a Google search. Right? It didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, again. That didn't exist at the time, but there were there were resources available to you. And so this is not like some funny made up word and they spend and every single character. It's not just like one character. It's our girls. It's people mm-hmm. that we care about are actively and knowingly. They acknowledge it. They call it out. Oh, everybody mispronounces the lake. Nobody would it's really called. They treat it as a joke. And they kept mispronouncing the lake, but they had no problem with Hiawatha. They kept talking about earning the Hiawatha badge, but it was really unclear like what exactly you had to do to earn that and what it had to do with Hiawatha, if anything. Similar to like Kate, you mentioned the question mark around the nature cabin. I had that same question. I was like, what exactly is a nature cabin? That seems like an oxymoron to me. I don't think they ever delved into that much. No, no, so weird. No. And I think Logan was also like, I'm I'm okay not going to the nature cabin also. Like, yeah. It's <laughs> like, okay. But I think the badge was something about being the leader. When Heather won, I think it was something about she was like the leader. She helped lead her campers out of the woods or whatever it was. I think, I'm not sure, but was I think that that's what it was. I know she got a reward for that or an, an award for that, but I don't know if that was the same one because I... I had written it down in Logan's chapter. Let me see. I thought Logan was the one who told me he or told me. Yeah, I think <laughs> Logan and Christy both got it. And I'm I feel like maybe it's related to swimming. Could be or sports of some kind, maybe. Yeah. That would be my guess. Yeah, I'm not sure. I getting my Hiawatha badge was exciting. Oh, I love sports. So that must be yeah, it must have something to do with sports. Okay, so it wasn't Heather it was Christy then? Yeah, Christy and Logan. Yeah. Um so just uh, uh, unnecessary. I mean, I don't want to beat that dead horse because much like much like the many tirades I've gone on <laughs> since starting this podcast, <laughs> this could be a this could be a doozy. Just because like I said, I I think the thing that was so upsetting to me about it, the reason I'm so angry is that I was prepared for it and it was even worse than I expected. And that's that's what's so disappointing. Yep. I agree. Oof. What, anything else we want to vent about before we move on to some of the more fun parts of camp? <laughs> Let's get it all out now. <laughs> well, I would say, I guess, you know, I, I know you were referring to um, the emphasis on looks. And mm-hmm. and also, I would say what really upset me was Marianne and her choices in this situation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it yeah. was it was fun to see her, like, leave the camp and, you know, kind of... I. Um, and have her like go off on her own and do something crazy. But at the same time, like she was doing it to please others. And, mm-hmm. and it was people that, you know, like she doesn't have anyone to please but herself. She was trying to prove herself. Like it was saying, oh, Marianne proves herself. And she never had to do that. She was fine, you know, being herself. And um, that, that just really upset me, that whole part. And and whole like I mean she was definitely I don't know how she decided to get her ears pierced in that way like I love that quote where she says oh I do wild stuff like this every day (laughs) (laughs) that part killed me the ear piercing was funny but I was like how could she put herself through all of that um but it just comes to show like she's how desperate of a people pleaser she is she just wants you know to be to be accepted and she thinks oh these girls are cool I need to please them. And they were really shitty to her. Like she didn't, she didn't deserve them at all. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I also think that it's interesting that Christy kind of does the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, she she feels like she's so much younger than the girls in her cabin, and she lets them give her a makeover, including, like, wearing eyeshadow and mascara and, like, blush and letting them do her hair. And so it, it's sort of funny that we see Marianne, who is a people pleaser, but we have seen her sort of have her own personality and not feel like she has to go out of her way to, like, let people walk all over her to prove herself. So we see her go down the path of, oh, I have to prove myself to these girls. We also see Christy, who we know would never do anything like this, at least that's what we would expect, also go down the same path of like, oh, these girls are so much older, so much more responsible, so much more sophisticated than I am. I should definitely, you know, let them make me over or, you know, pierce my ears or trick me into, not trick me, but like, talk me into going to sneak out after dark to go to the other side of camp because I want them to think that I'm as good as they are when we know that Christy and Marianne in their own ways, because obviously they're not the same, they both, they're they're better than that. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're already great girls. They're already really cool. They're already sophisticated in their own right, in their own way. They don't need to prove themselves, but it's just so disappointing that they both go down that path of, I have to prove myself by essentially becoming someone they're not exactly and it was like pretty much um they were like that was their their ending essentially they were like rewarded for for going that far and for marianne Mm -hmm. sneaking out almost dying trying getting her ears pierced i mean thank god it never happened with her but (laughs) um and then with christy like it was just kind of like oh this is a rite of passage i mean but I mean, like you said, Marianne is strong in her own way, and she she shows that in many instances. And I believe that this this could have been her moment to tell them to. Well, I guess I don't know can, if I, can I curse in this podcast. <laughs> um, Definitely. No, I I'm saying this is her moment to tell her to for them to for her to tell them to just fuck off. Frankly, that's what I yep. think. Um, and she didn't do that, and I was disappointed. It was mm-hmm. I don't know that really. I I agree, and I I was that was compounded for me because of how the book also treated Heather. So we mentioned briefly the like fat shaming. Um, I I forgot to mention it while we were while we were talking about the indigenous representation. But there's sort of a weird line in there. Did you catch that? Where it's an it's an off um, hand mark that Dawn makes. She says she never goes to the lake for open swim, and when she cut her mandatory swim lesson. Heather is an Iroquois, which means she can't swim. Which I think that that's the swimming levels. As at the camp that I went to, they did not have indigenous tribe names as the names, but like oh. on the first day of camp, you had to have a camp test, a swimming test, and based on how well you could, you know, swim across the the, the pool or you know tread water for a minute, you got gotcha. a different colored swim cap. That's what I took from that. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that makes way more sense. Still, still not great, but way less problematic than whatever I was envisioning in my head because I was like, that's some weird. And I again did some light googling, and and the only things that came up where people on various like old live journals from 2008 being like what the fuck was this in babysitter's club <laughs> um so um so anyway but back to the to the point i was actually making about how um the book seemed to reward them for going along with everybody else and not standing up for for their own wants and needs um the book also has dawn kind of talk down to and be frustrated by heather for doing just what we said 
She's not mean. She's not rude. She just is not interested in doing anything that she's not interested in doing and Mm -hmm. is, like, content to make her own experience. And Dawn is, like, so down on her for that. She's like, ugh, everybody's just trying to be so nice to her. And she is so awful for not wanting to participate when she's not being mean. She just said, no, that sounds like fun, but no, thank you. I'm not interested. Like, (laughs) Yeah, Dawn really seems to take it as, like, a personal attack on her that, like, that Heather wouldn't want to do all these things. And it's like, she already told you her parents made her come to camp. She had no interest in doing this. Like she, like you said, she's not causing trouble. She's not being mean to the other girls for wanting to do these things. She just wants to stay in the cabin and read a book and write in her journal. Like, what's so wrong about that? Like, I like that she gets rewarded at the end, but I think they, they should have rewarded her for that too, for being like standing up and like knowing herself and just yep. being that. I, I feel like Dawn though kind of has like, I don't know. I think she has a little bit of a savior complex. Like she really wants, mm-hmm. I I feel like that's her character. She really observes people. She tries to figure out what they're about and she tries to see how she can make them better in some way. And even though like her way is not everybody else's way, but I feel like she generally cared about Heather, but like she was being too pushy and to the yeah. point that it was uncomfortable. So Yeah. But I, I feel like that's her character. That that's how she just she has she's very she's a very mature person in general, Dawn, and she just like tries to like figure people out. And I think sometimes it it doesn't come off so great. <laughs> I think that's a really good point because you mentioned we were talking earlier about how Kate, you had talked about you know different people have different needs and you have to communicate those. And I think that that's sort of from that perspective might be what's happening here that Dawn's need is to help people. Dawn's need is to, um, you know, thinking about her relationship with her mom, sort of take care of people and make Mm -hmm. sure that they're okay. Um, And I think in this case, I am definitely going to give her a lot of grace at 13 years old. She probably doesn't have the space to understand that just because those are her needs that might not be the needs of others. So that's a really good point. I think I, I'm rethinking my harshness of that opinion. Um, (laughs) I I think like, yeah, I still, I think it's not a great look for the book overall, but for Dawn coming from a gentler place makes total sense. Yeah. So uh, we said on the flip side, you know, who wasn't absolute a trash fire, uh, contrary to normal was Logan. (laughs) Um, I, in particular, when she was writing that letter and they said they were going to have to take it to him, my stomach just sank because especially based on the Logan from last book, I was like, oh boy, this is going to be ugly. Terrible. I was so uncomfortable. (laughs) Yep. And then he was fine with it. Like, I was so surprised. I think one of the reasons that I was especially concerned was because as Marianne's chapter is ending, she's basically, I can't, I don't have the, I didn't quote it in my notes and I don't have the book in front of me, but like, she sort of has this foreshadowing that like, oh boy, I didn't know what was going to happen with that note or something like that. And so I think that like added to the trepidation of like, oh God, what's going to happen? Like yeah. she's acting like something bad is about like at talking sort of in retrospect through her narration. It's like she knows that what the future holds and it doesn't sound like it's great. And so I was like, oh no, what's it going to be? Cause Logan's terrible. But then he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. He, I-, I love that he like went along with it. He's like, I hope, um, you know, maybe it's kind of silly, but I'm going to go find the yellow flower and I'm going to – he didn't judge her for it. And I thought yeah. that was really sweet. Yeah, it was very cute when they came together at the dance. I haven't necessarily read um, the Logan Perspective books in a while. I have to go back to them. So I 
have to see what that's about. But I don't know. I I'm thinking a story. He never um, did. He ever stand up for her when they called her? What is it? The Phoebe? Did he ever stand up for in the book? I'm trying to remember. I'm going back to that. If he did, it was very like it wasn't like a strong. Don't call her that. It was just a. She's not a Phoebe. Well, and I think they were more making fun of him for getting the note. I, I didn't, and I might be misremembering, but I don't I don't remember there being a ton of them making fun of Marianne for sending this note. I think they were more making fun of him for having it, maybe I guess sort of a little bit it would be on her, but like for having this girlfriend that would send him this note and ask him to do these things, even though he obviously loves it and wants to do those things. Right. Um, I, I feel like they were ragging on him a lot more than they were on Marianne. That's true, yeah. I would say that would be the only flaw. I would have liked to see him stand up to her, but as you said, I mean, I have to go back to read more Logan books, but Logan mm-hmm. is generally shitty, so I guess it's not <laughs> going to be a surprise. <laughs> I thought the dance overall was really cute, though, um, and I, I thought Claudia's um, melodramatic love story would have been so much fun um, and a perfect camp story if, like you said in the summary, if it weren't for the fact that it was clearly just there as a setup for the sad goodbye that is rapidly approaching. Especially when they introduced him as another Japanese-American character. Like, Jesse talks about how she's the only black person at camp, or one of the few, but, like, Claudia never... And I think we've started to to recognize this as we've got gone along, that Claudia's race is never interrogated pretty much at all in the books. So, like, I think it would have been really interesting to have a a love story where they came together because they're like, you know, finding themselves as, uh, as outsiders, quote unquote, mm-hmm. within the camp or like it, having some conversation around, you know, that shared culture that she doesn't get to share with anybody outside of her family. So I, I just thought that was, you know, as much as I didn't want to be reminded about Mimi, I thought that was another slightly missed opportunity, even as if it was very fun to watch Claudia just be like, <sighs> she's, she, she's such a, um, you know, they, Marianne talks about being the romantic, but Claudia is definitely the boy crazy one, even more than Stacy sometimes. Mm-hmm. It definitely seems that way. Yeah, I do agree that I think this is, Claudia's storyline is also one that I think would have benefited from fewer narrators and more chapters for each of the individual narrators. So we could have gotten more of that. And I wish also that there had been more of an opportunity for um, Claudia and Will to interact before they get to the movie night because you know basically Mm -hmm. you know they both fall in luv love upon first sight when he when they come over to tell the girls about the dance and then luckily they end up meeting up again at the the movie night and at the dance but i wish that there had been more opportunities for them to interact and sort of grow the the underlying you know friendship connection relationship before it's just oh luv love for each other yeah, and that also felt really realistic for being that age where, you know, you look Oh, no, cute- no, I'm not – I was going to say, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I just feel more from the, like, what you were saying about wishing that we had been able to see Claudia yes. connect with him on the level of having that same his- heritage and background and, you know, relating to each other in the ways that they weren't necessarily able to relate to their friends. I think that would have been nice to have more interactions between them so that we could see that foundation being laid. Gotcha. Yeah, totally. Like, it, it, if they had just left off the fact that he was Japanese-American and left off the dead grandma bit, it would have been a perfect, fun, super special, silly plot, you know, 
that's very true to life that you you see the cute boy across the lake you have that like super intense affair that can only happen at camp I definitely have had camp boyfriends um, that it was just like uh, and then you say goodbye and it's like the world is ending and then you promise to write <laughs> and it it lasts for like two months like that would have been great I just I, I think you're right that they missed the opportunity in some of those it felt overstuffed um which makes sense for a book that's pretty overstuffed I'm so jealous that you guys went to camp I never been to camp before <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Oh. I would have loved a camp boyfriend. That's so cute. I never had a camp boyfriend or a camp girlfriend because <laughs> I went to Girl <laughs> Scout camp, so it was only girls, but I, I didn't have either, unfortunately. I don't know that experience. So can we talk about Stacey's every disease imaginable situation, which yes. I think is funny because that's almost the only thing that's similar to the show in like a main main way. So I, I would... I've never had poison ivy. I'll just throw that out as like the starting point for the conversation. Like, so I thought that was a rite of passage or something to go to camp because I I always see that all the time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's like you go to camp and you get poison ivy, and I, I guess, thankfully, I never got poison ivy. But the fact that Stacy has so many maladies all at once and basically spends most of camp in the infirmary, sort of like on the show, it's just sort of funny that. You know, she was the one that had to be convinced to go to camp, and then she ends up laying in a bed with, you know, her new friend, Miko, that has a broken leg who still stays at camp despite having a huge cast up to her hip. That seemed a little bit like, oh, that's some parenting choices. Um, I was surprised by how, um, like, well Stacy took all of it. She was so cheerful about what had to have been fucking misery yeah no she was i mean there wasn't much to to her chapters she was just there basically sick and yeah nothing really happened with that and she didn't even have lane as a a roommate to overcome their issues because in the books they've already overcome their issues when when the girls all go to new york yeah that would have been i mean that's why i like the show version a little bit better compared to Mm -hmm. that that specific plot I definitely, I don't know, what do you guys think about Nani? Yeah, she just seemed like kind of a um, redux of the Betsy Sobek character to me. I mean, they I know they called that out, but I, I think, I don't know why we needed an, a new one, um, why we couldn't have just, you know, have Betsy been one of the many kids who came to camp. Um, because uh, mostly I was really annoyed about the list. Yeah, mm-hmm. that part made me I, really uncomfortable. It was like kind of yeah. mocking. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I have a minor, it might have very, 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 very minor list, but like it's tiny. It's not a, a, an impact in my life in any way, but it is something that I notice how people use it as such a mocking thing when it's just, that's just awful. Just so mean. Mm-hmm. Unnecessarily mean. And it was throughout the whole book. Yeah. Yeah. It just was too well, much. At the very least, they weren't making fun of her for it. Like, there, there weren't any characters that were mocking her for it. But just the writing it out in that way feels mocking to me. Yep. Definitely agree. Yeah. That part I didn't like. That was, like, a side note for me. I did like their um, – how they had the Christmas thing. Um, I thought that was really cute. So while, while Stacy is – getting ready to get out of the infirmary, they surprise her with Christmas in the summer. And it turns out that that's a camp tradition that one camp or one um, bunk creates Christmas for another bunk at some point throughout the camp. And I thought that was a really cool, cute little tradition. But like, wouldn't it suck to be the ones who don't get Christmas? Well, that's true. Like, that's that's what I thought. Like, those because isn't Stacy in a six year old cabin? So like, 
six-year-old because it was the other six-year-old cabin that did it for her six-year-old cabin so it's like these other six-year-olds are giving all of this candy and treats and surprises to the other cabin like (laughs) as a six-year-old i am certain that i would have been like wtf why don't i get christmas like why i have to come back next year and hope that i get to be in a cabin that gets christmas like no i want christmas too as an adult i would be like why don't i get christmas that's That's true i didn't think about that I do love how in her stockings they push sugar-free candies. I thought that was a really cute mm-hmm. one. <laughs> yeah, that was sweet. That is really funny. I never really thought about that. That it was like basically you're you're like you kids. You have to be the workers, and somebody else gets to enjoy it, and you're gonna love it. Um, good call. So okay, I lied. I take it back. Not a cute <laughs> camp tradition. It would be cuter if it was, like, the first week one cabin does it to the other and then the second week the other one does it back. Or, like, one – and I feel weird that it's, like, Christmas, but, like, if it was, like, Christmas and then, like, Valentine's Day or, like, whatever. Or just, like, it, it's time for, you know, surprise candy in your bunk. Like, whatever you want to yeah. call it. I feel like it would be better if there was, like, reciprocal in both directions. <laughs> That makes sense. Or like um, secret admirers or like you know, like secret Santa type thing, you can call it. Yeah. Any, something like that. That's a good point. I, you know what? I just realizing it as we started talking about the camp stuff and traditions like that, I think one of the things that I didn't really um, – it didn't really bother me at the time, but reading it, but looking back uh, – we've been talking about how, you know, everybody has their own plot line and I, I – that's the norm of the super special, but it does mean that we don't really get to see them interact as much. And we do miss out on a lot of the like more fun, all camp activities. Like there's no color war or like running. There's a brief mentioning of running somebody's underwear up the flagpole, but like, I'm thinking about all of those traditional camp, like social, like, like you mentioned, Alexander, that like, that's what you thought camp was like. That's what the media shows us, like that fake version. Yeah, salute your shorts, like all those. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's what I wanted to see more. Exactly. Having everybody in their own, like, private plot stopped some of those bigger shenanigans, um, which I think could be fun. Well, and especially with the like, boy side of camp, girl side of camp, I feel like there would be more like activities for the campers themselves to that effect, like color war, mm-hmm. you know, field day kind of thing where there's like a competition on different sporting events. Like I feel like there would be, that would make way more sense that there were, and that would also to go back to like the Ca- Claudia storyline, if we wanted to flesh that out, that yes. would give more opportunities for them to interact with each other and yeah, get more because of all of the babysitters club girls are participating in this. We might see it from different people's perspective, but they'll at least be in each other's stories as opposed to here. Like you said, it's like each of them has their own plot line. And like, even when they're at the same thing, like the movie night or the dance, there's barely any reference to even interacting with the other girls, let alone what they might be doing. Right. For such a they when Stacy first gets there, they keep talking about what a reunion, what a reunion, like three different people said the phrase, what a reunion. (laughs) And then they never interact with her the rest of the summer. Like Stacy and Claudia have, I think, one conversation the entire book. And uh, like, uh, what a reunion indeed. Well, and Claudia even like throws shade at Charlotte for like crying and hugging Stacy because she's like, yeah. I want to be hugging Stacy. <laughs> like, so they didn't even really get that much of a reunion because Charlotte ruined it. <laughs> I did like, I did like the end of Charlotte's message overall, mm-hmm. though, that idea that 
that Christy just could not figure out what, why is she staying if she is so miserable? And just that idea that, you know what, sometimes things may be miserable, but they are good for you. Or even just proving that you can do hard things. One of my heroes is Glennon Doyle. And that's her big sort of mantra is we can do hard things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that was a really beautiful little message in Charlotte's little plot line. And that's when... Yeah, that was great. That's the type of thing that the, the series does so well. It will thread those little beautiful moments of grace in here, even when I'm like, we're bitching about <laughs> a lot of things and very valid things. Um, there's also these really amazing little nuggets in there. And that was that was one for me. I think that might have been my favorite thing from the whole book. Yeah, I really love that. I wish that with the her how the, her, Charlotte's um, journey and what she went through to try to, you know, she was trying to like push through it, even though she wasn't enjoying it. And she challenged herself, but like I feel like that journey, I, I feel like they were maybe trying to translate that to the other characters because the other characters were doing things that they don't normally do, like Christy being someone that's not really much into change, you know, decided mm-hmm. to get herself made up and, you know, and they're all trying to like do things that they don't normally do, Marianne trying to get her ears pierced and all of that, um, but, you know, it just didn't translate that well unfortunately so it could have been done differently that's true that's a really good point I I like that because they really do uh, I feel like they normally do a better job of making some of the parallels obvious and um, in some places I feel like they really did here like for example the the Logan and Marianne parallel there was um, Kate you had mentioned how they she ended that um her chapter like all uh melodramatic about the the letter and he uh-huh. ends his chapter with very very similar language like it's it's a like a callback type thing uh-huh. and I, I can't remember exactly what it is i thought i had written it down but it doesn't look like it did. it doesn't really matter but like that is they're usually really good at creating those parallels um so it's it's a little bummy that they didn't um managed to link at that Charlotte as nicely as, or neatly, I guess, as they could have with some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. Any other big ideas or do we want to move on to talk about some random thoughts? I do have a couple of little things. One that jumped out at me right away was, um, I think this was the first time we've seen Nancy Dawes in a Babysitter's Club book. Kate, I know that you didn't read The Little Sisters. She is Karen's best friend. She's a main character in the Little Sister series. Ah. Um, so that was just a fun little call out she they mention her as one of the um, kids that's coming from stony brook so she doesn't actually do anything i think they only mention her the one time but it was one of those uh, unlock moments where i was like oh i know that name wasn't she karen's <laughs> friend um and sure uh-huh. enough little easter egg for the little sisters readers exactly because i'm pretty sure little sisters started pretty close to this or just started picking up steam by the late 80s so that makes sense I had one. So Christy sends Shannon um, a postcard in, I think, her last chapter. Like, you know, because obviously, as everyone or most everyone knows, when they're doing these super specials, the instead of a notebook entry, the chapters start with, you know, a postcard or a journal entry. Because here, I don't think any of them are journal entries here, because the actual book is supposed to be a journal that Stacy is making all of them keep so that she has memories of camp, which is, I guess, works out well since she doesn't really experience camp. But so <laughs> this last chapter of Christie's, she starts it off with a um, postcard to Shannon, who is at Camp Erie, which is spelled in Christie's postcard E E R I E. 
um, like spooky, scary, eerie. Uh-huh. And <laughs> she says, you know, like she wouldn't want to go to that kind of camp because it sounds scary. Um, and my question <laughs> is, the camp is in Michigan. So I'm assuming it's Camp Erie, like Lake Erie, like yeah. that we live on, Lauren. Yeah. Um, but so I don't know if it if that was like an intentional, like Christy thinks she doesn't know that there's Lake Erie. So she thinks that it's spelled with two E's or if it's Anna Martin doesn't know that it isn't <laughs> with two E's like or they I mean, I, obviously they make the reference to like, oh, it sounds spooky. So maybe maybe it's supposed to be that Christy only knows Doesn't the word it. eerie as the word eerie as opposed to like the proper name Lake Erie. But I, as someone who has grown up very close to Lake Erie my entire yeah. life, I that just sort of jumped out to me. I was like, that's really funny. <laughs> that made me laugh too a lot. I was like, because um, I remember making that joke as a kid about Lake Erie. Ooh, is it scary? <laughs> <laughs> I love the notebook that they have in general. That reminded mm-hmm. me of, you know, back in the day, like, I don't know how the kids, the, what is it? The, what is it? Not millennials. I know they have the Z generation. I'm not remembering which generation we are for the teenagers. But, um, but I, I used to like pass around a notebook on between me and my best friend. And we used to like tell each other about our day. And so it was just like a diary of sorts. So I really like how they had that notebook and they, you know, catalog their experiences, just like they pretty much do with their babysitting jobs. But, you know, it's just more like a a memory book of their vacation together, good and the bad. I love that. Um, And I even saw when I was Googling, I was looking up some like fandom stuff of the book. They actually have that actual notebook. I don't know if you can buy it now, but they actually have it too. And that would be... That's so cool. Yeah, that would make a really cute... Um, you know, to put in their bookshelf or something. That would be really mm-hmm. cute to do. I have like a really tiny Babysitter's Club bookshelf because I have way too many books, but I would love to have like my own bookshelf just for all my old vintage books, all my mm-hmm. series. But yeah, I really love the notebook that they have. That was cute. I thought that was a really great touch as well because that felt very true to life to me also. I was, um, you know, obsessed with uh, like chronalizing things, memorializing things, um, I want to remember everything. It was I was terrible at it, but I have like a million half-finished scrapbooks or like half-filled-out travel um, notebooks or things like that. I have I've purchased like ten different versions of the same um, like it, we're going to ask you prompts around your trip or like take a picture here type of thing, and I never <laughs> I never end up finishing them. So <laughs> I was very I was proud of the girls for getting it done. <laughs> yeah, definitely they did a great job. <laughs> One other sort of random thing, one of the many diseases or maladies that Stacy has is impetigo, which yes. the only way that I know about that is from season four or season three of uh, season four of America's Next Top Model. Yes, <laughs> that's yes. what Michelle gets and <laughs> yes. all of the girls think it's flesh eating virus and they're all like freaked out and so it's just reading that I was like oh I know what that is (laughs) I did the exact same thing I was like the only reason I know this word is because I can just see them her melting down (laughs) yep (laughs) Um, it's 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 funny I feel awful she was it was she was genuinely distressed but you know Mm -hmm. looking back it's it was funny Um, I'm a terrible person do you guys have any favorite um, camp movies I know they mentioned a lot here. Well, for me, for sure, it's Parent Trap. That's a big one for me. But the old one, of course. Yeah. 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 yeah the, the one um, with, I forgot her name. I have to look it up. Haley Mills. Haley Mills. Yeah. Haley Mills. You got it. 
I like both of the Parent Traps, actually, but I think my favorite camp movie was um, probably Camp Nowhere. I was obsessed with Camp Nowhere as a kid. <gasps> oh, my God. Why didn't I mention that one? Oh, me too, Jonathan. Was it Jonathan Jackson? Yeah. yeah. I was obsessed yeah. with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who was the other one in there that I was, like, so in love with Andrew at the time? Keegan. Andrew Keegan, yes. <laughs> and uh, it was um, Christopher Lloyd, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Yep, he was the the one the adult that they got to help them the grifter whatever he like helps them set it up it was a fake camp that's right yeah when i i actually watched it during the beginning of quarantine because i was when disney well because it was we got disney plus a little bit before that um but i was like re-watching all those 90s movies they have camp nowhere um, there was one with cheerleaders. Oh my god, I love that one. I forgot the name of it, but Camp Nowhere. I watch it now. It's a little bit cringy, but it is fun. It is fun. But just the flirtation between the kids and Andrew Keegan, the way he interacts with the blonde girl, it was just mm-hmm. a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely recommend watching it now and you see it with different okay. a different set of eyes. Yeah. <laughs> What about you, Kate? I'll add it to my list. Me too. Yeah, I was going to say, I love both Parent Traps. I was not a child (laughs) when the Lindsay Lohan one came out. So even though I watched it older than kids that were going to camp, I still love that movie. And I was obsessed with Salute Your Shorts. I love Salute Your Shorts. During college, I bought a bootleg DVD copy of it off of eBay because you can't get it anywhere. Because I was like, I haven't watched these in so long. I want them so badly. And so somewhere in my house, I have bootleg <laughs> copies of Salute Your Shorts so I can rewatch them. Um, but yeah, Salute Your Shorts for sure. You need to find those so we can watch them because I was obsessed. And seriously, the minute you say Salute Your Shorts, I'm like hearing the theme song in my I, I used to love that show, too. I, I really forgot about it. Like, I forgot about everything, but I just will always remember the shorts and the flagpole. I need to go back and, mm-hmm. and rewatch it, see if I can mm-hmm. get those DVDs. Hey Dude was the other one. I, I Salute your shorts and Hey Dude, back to back. Those were my faves. Mm-hmm. Great. Have you ever been to the Nickelodeon Studios back in the day, like in Universal yes. Studios? They actually had that. That was amazing. I know. I got to see part of a Clarissa Explains It All taping, and it was like the highlight of my life. Me too. I got to see, well, not the taping, but I got to see the set. And they take you through all the different, like, well, you basically see it. You're like in a movie theater, and you're looking down, like it's kind of like a double glass pane window. Oh, my gosh. I was dying when I saw that. Yeah. Then when they took us through, they were, I I don't think they were taping. They might have just been rehearsing. But the cast was on the stage when we came through that little, like, viewing area. And I was like, oh, my God. It was the coolest. Yes, I got to taste the slime. I don't know if you had the slime. It was really (laughs) the whole experience. (laughs) I know. It was so cool. That's that's one of the best parts that, from my perspective, about, like, delving back into this world. All the, like, tangentially related um, nostalgia stuff it brings up. Like, I haven't thought about Camp Nowhere in probably 20 years. And now I'm... I know what I'm doing this afternoon. I'm going to go watch yep. Andrew Keegan and Jonathan Jackson in Camp Nowhere. So, Any other one-off thoughts from either of you? I don't think I have any. No, I think yeah. that pretty much sums it up for me. So um, with that in mind, we've mentioned it a couple of times. We've been sort of avoiding talking about it as much as possible because we all know what happens next. So the next book is Claudia and the Sad Goodbye. There's no real need to predict. We know what the sad goodbye is. Well, I want to say 
A very special thank you to Alexandra for joining us today. It was so great to um, get a, a fresh perspective um, and hear how much these books have meant to you as well. We just, I just love sharing it with everybody. Yeah. Thank yeah, you for having really me. Great. Thank you. It was so nice talking to you guys. And I don't really get to talk about the babysitters club with many people. <laughs> so it's, it's fun to analyze it and talk about, it, especially with you guys. Well, that is what we are here for. And if anyone listening wants to join in the conversation, um, you can reach us on social media. That's actually how we got um, connected with Alexandra. She reached out to us through um, our Instagram at Generation BSC. Um, we're also on Twitter at Generation BSC. Or if you can't contain your thoughts to 240 characters, you can always email us generationbsc at gmail.com. And I think the the final final club business will be to ask Alexandra if you, I know you have a pretty uh, robust social media presence with your uh, bookstagram situation. So I don't know if you want to go ahead and plug yourself so people can find you and follow along with what you've been doing. Yeah, um, you could find me um, on Instagram at paperback pastelitos. So basically, uh, my Instagram is basically obviously is book related. Um, I do reference. I mean, I re- read a lot of Latinx books, and I read a lot of young adult. I mean, young adult Latinx, and young adult is a big one for me. Magical realism, romance. I read a, b- a little bit of everything. Um, but yeah, and I also write for Frolic Media. And um, I also write about books there. And sometimes I also write about pop culture things like Camp Nowhere. So um, so you could find me in Frolic Media. And yeah, that's about okay. it. <laughs> okay, great. So I guess with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.